Revelation chapter 19 is our text today. I invite you to turn with me as we'll read verses 1 through 10. And thank you, Brother Terry. So many of those songs just fit absolutely uh, perfectly like a hand in a glove as we read this text. Thank you, Lon, for uh, quoting that passage of Scripture from Revelation chapter 4. Interesting enough, those same creatures, those living beings, those zoan in Greek, living animated beings, we're going to see them again here in Revelation chapter 19. This is a powerful, it's an awesome passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 10. And if you're anything like me, you're ready to hear it because chapters 17 and 18 were intense. They were, they were uh, times of, of judgment on this fallen Babylon. And now, uh, look at the title of the message, Jesus Wins, the Best is yet to come, and the best is what we're about to read here in Revelation chapter 19. So I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you're ready to uh, study God's Word today. And uh, boy, it's just good to be uh, in His presence and in His house. Thank you, Daniel, for those baptisms. Thank you, students. I understand y'all had a great time in the lock-in on Friday night. I came, you know, but I didn't stay all night. I came and disappeared. I, I tell you, I would be messed up for two weeks had I stayed up all night. But I know you guys had a great time, many decisions for the Lord, and uh, sweet, sweet time. All right, so we're in Revelation 19, and so uh, why don't we all stand up again, read God's Word together in the honor of His Word. And I don't know why I'm a little dizzy this morning. I'm gonna, I woke up this morning, it's kind of like I've, I got a fog from the top of my head to the, my forehead. I'm a little bit, I don't know if it's vertigo or whatever, so we're going to hold on. And y'all pray for me, maybe spiritual warfare, I don't know, but it's um, having a hard time. Maybe I just need glasses, amen? <laughs> ah, it happens, 51, your arm just starts doing this, so. Oh, you got it on the big screen, amen. I can see that, I can see. After these things, John said, I heard a, a loud voice. After these things, the antecedent for these things would be chapters 17 and 18, the fall of Babylon. The fall of that wicked city, that religious component of one world religion, and then the commercial socio-economic Babylon, I think all three are contained in 17 and 18, and it has fallen. And then there was a loud voice in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments because he has judged the great harlot, that's Revelation 17 and 18, who corrupted the earth with her fornication, pornea. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, a song number two, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures uh, they fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne, and they said, now watch this for the third time, amen, hallelujah. And then verse 5 says, and a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, present active imperative. Keep on praising, perpetually praising our God, all you His servants, His doulos, and those who fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, here we go, for the fourth time. By the way, 
Only four times in all the New Testament is this word hallelujah mentioned, and it's all mentioned right here in this pericope, right here in this narrative. Now, I know hallelujah, praise Yah is mentioned multiple times in the Old Testament, but just four times, and each time it introduces a song of praise. So this last one they say, hallelujah. And then George Frederick Handel comes along with, for the Lord our God omnipotent reigns. Of course, I know this predates Mr. Handel, but this is where he got it. And if you've ever sung Handel's Messiah, you know when they sing that part right there, there is no decrescendo whatsoever. It is a building, a, a crescendo. It, it really captures the essence of this text where it says, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent he reigneth. Let us be glad, he said, and let us rejoice, and let us give him glory because, here it is, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, that would be us, the bride of Christ, the church, we have made ourselves ready. Verse 8, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, Catharon. Catharsis, clean and bright, lampron. Lampron in Greek is where we get our English word lamp. Clean and bright, radiant for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And in verse 9 says, then he said to me, John write, blessed are those, and by the way, this is the fourth of the seven beatitudes in Revelation. Macarias, blessed, happy, joyful, fulfilled are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And then in verse 10, I, I tell you, John just, just has a moment here. He fell at the angel's feet to worship the angel. But the angel said to him, said to John, see that you do not do that. I am your sindulas, I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You may be seated. And let's begin our study today as we look at the best is yet uh, to come. Number one, we're going to look at these four songs of praise. Each one of them is introduced by this word, hallelujah. It's very similar to the word, amen, let it be, praise the Lord. And by the way, hallelujah and amen are basically transliterated right out of the Hebrew and the Greek. And even today, these words are known throughout the world as praise the Lord and so be it. In fact, there were a couple of, true story, a couple of guys were on a, a cruise ship and they were both from different countries. And if you've ever been on a, a cruise, you know there are just times you just got to get away from the people. You got to find you just a little remote spot there on that boat. And these two guys... Both of them had their Bibles in hand. And remember now, they don't speak the same language. And they're on this cruise, and one guy sees the other guy with his Bible in the early morning, and, and the other one knows what the other one's going to do. He's trying to find a place to have his quiet time. So they walk up to each other, and they just look at each other, and one of them said, Hallelujah. And the other one said, Amen. And then they, and then they walked away. Because, you see, they, they understood what those words mean, because that's that common language of praise the Lord and so be it. So there are four songs of praise, and I want you to look at them with me uh, this morning. First of all, in verse 1 it says, after these things, after the fall, the destruction of this Babylon, uh, this future city, this uh, religious system, this commercial system has fallen. 
And the angelic hosts break forth in a song of praise. And in verses 1 and 2, we'll see the first one, they say, salvation and glory and honor and power be to our God. You know why? Because God is winning. God is winning. And they're seeing it. So many times today, it looks like God is lost. It looks like God has lost his power. It looks like maybe God is losing the battle because it just looks like evil is unmitigated. It looks like it is just winning the day. But I'm telling you, nothing could be further from the truth. Our God reigns. He reigns. He's always reigned. He is allowing these things to happen. But there's coming a day when he will close it out. He will judge and he will be praised throughout eternity. And these angels see it. And the redeemed of heaven, they see it, and they say, salvation, glory, and honor, and power be unto our Lord. Why? Because His judgments have been enacted. And those judgments in verse 2 are called true and righteous. His judgments are never capricious. They're never unwarranted. I mean, they are right on, spot on. God has judged the wicked harlot, the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. We've talked about that chapter 17 and 18, and how she had deceived the nations of this world. And whatever you think about Babylon, whatever you think it was something in the past or something in the present or something to be like me in the future, whatever it is, it represents that which is antithetical toward God, that which is antithesis of the very holiness and the purity and the righteousness of God. That's why John is using words like adultery and, and harlot and fornication and pornea. All those things refer to sexual immorality and deviation from the pure, the true, the righteous, and now God stands and He judges it. And by the way, if you ever feel like you're the one that needs to avenge, and you're the ones that need to enact judgment and righteousness, you don't because God will. God will save the day. God will take care of it. God will come through. He'll always come through. And these angels and these redeemed of humanity, we are singing praise to our God because He is a God of righteous judgment. Number two is the second song, and it's found in verse 3. The angels, or perhaps it's a combination choir of angels and redeemed humanity, it doesn't say, but we speculate in verse 3 that they sing again, hallelujah. Notice what they say, her smoke rises up forever and ever, and that which was in opposition to God has been judged. And that perpetual smoke rising forever, and it's been decimated on earth, but in hell below it just emanates that smoke of the judgment of God because God has come through and God has put aside and judged all of that which was in opposition to Him. You say, well, I don't know about that, Brother Dan. That seems kind of harsh. I mean, it looks like God's being unkind, and maybe it looks like, you know, you know God, God should be a little more gracious and forgiving, and He is. This is a day of grace and forgiveness. Listen, you, you need to meet God in as your friend. You, you need to meet God today when He has given you um, forgiveness and mercy and compassion, because at this time, all of those who have rejected Him, listen to this, spit in His face, trampled over His blood, rejected Him, and just vilified and demonized Jesus Christ and all of His people, God says, enough, and then God comes and He judges, and, and it's, it's intense. Her smoke rises forever and ever. It reminds me of a passage in Thessalonians, which is uh, when Paul says these words, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you 
who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. In flaming fire, God takes vengeance on those who do not know Him, and He takes vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, wow, man, that's intense. That's serious stuff. Well, listen, this is God speaking. And God has one remedy, God has one answer for the sinfulness and the depravity and the immorality of mankind, and it is His Son, Jesus Christ. And if we accept Him, we are blessed. If we reject Him and tell Him no, then we receive the punitive retribution judgment of God. Song number three. This song is a little different. Here comes the 24 elders and the four living beings. Now I know for sure in verse 4 we're in on it, because whenever these 24 elders are mentioned, I believe it's a reference to redeemed humanity. It could reference the 12 Old Testament tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles in the New Testament of Jesus. There is significance behind this number 24. And so the 24, they rise up and they fall down, rise up, fall down, and they're worshiping God, and here come these ominous creatures. And by the way, whenever you see them, at the beginning of Revelation, at the apocalypse, and at the end, there are two things that God has created them to do. They worship God, and they, they're warriors. They worship, and God uses them to execute His wrath, and they are fierce warrior creatures. And then they say these words, hallelujah and amen. And then verse 5, a voice from the throne of God, perhaps it's one of the four living beings, and He summons all believers to join the heavenly host. And notice these three things. First of all, He gives the command to praise God. Verse 5, a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, present tense, forever and ever. We will be in heaven, and we will be living lives of praise. We will be singing songs of praise. We will be adoring our God because He will be the God who has created us, and the God who has redeemed us, the God who has sustained us, and so His praise will ever be on our lips. Notice the word number two. It says, because we are His servants. Praise our God, all of you do loss, all of you servants, and those who fear Him. Those who fear your name, God, both small and great, from the great among us to the smallest among us, matters not. All of us in heaven, we give God praise. I was reading this week about this word fear, and I'm always fascinated whenever the Bible says we are to fear God. The Bible says in Revelation 10, 9, when I was in Jerusalem many years ago, I had one scripture. I got to choose one scripture to put on a ring to wear on my hand, and I chose Proverbs 10, 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear, what does it mean to fear God? He says we are praising Him, we are His servants, and we fear Him. Now to me, fear has more to do with the awe and the reverential respect of who God is. But it also, as I was reading this week, somebody pointed this out to me, that fear is when a small boy disobeys his earthly father, and he knows that he is wrong, and instead of fleeing from his earthly father, he flees into his arms, knowing that he will be judged, knowing that he will be punished because he has done wrong, but he knows without a doubt that his Father loves him and will be just and will be kind. I don't know about you, but I fear God. I always have, 
and I always will. Listen, a good dose of the fear of God will keep you out of trouble. If you don't fear God, then you're going to light it up and smoke the, what do they call the Mary Jane marijuana thing? It's so popular today. I tell you, it is so popular among so many. And, and if you don't fear God, you'll light it up and you'll just, you'll just live like everybody else lives. You'll party like everybody else parties. But I don't know, I don't know about you, but I don't do that because I fear God. And I love God. And I want to please God because all God's done for me. He has bought me, he has purchased me, he shed his blood for me, his, ho mm, his Holy Spirit came in me. Why would I not fear him? Why would I not want to praise him? Why would I not want to give him my absolute best, say no to the peer pressure, and say yes to Jesus Christ? Fear him, all you his servants. And it's a reverential fear. It is a it is a fear of God out of, out of respect and love and, and appreciation for who He is. And then there's a, another song. It's the song number four, verses six through eight. Wow. It's powerful. He is the Lord God omnipotent. The Greek word there for omnipotent is pantocrator. It's one of my favorite words in the Greek New Testament. Uh, kratos means utter undeniable strength. Panto, pan means all. He is all strength. He is the Lord God omnipotent. And why is he being praised in verse 6? And I heard a loud voice, the great multitude, and they said, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent. And the word there reigns. It, it's very similar to the Greek word we translate kingdom, basileia. It means his kingly reign, His kingly power, the Lord God reigns. I like the way one pastor describes this verse when he says, Revelation 19.6 tells us, there is a voice of a vast multitude. What do you picture when you think of that sound? Perhaps a football stadium filled with cheering fans. Can I just interject an amen to that? It's coming. I like me some football, and I love just the whole atmosphere of the excitement, and, and people are pulling for their team, and, and Pastor Roger says, is that what you think of? Perhaps a football stadium filled with cheering fans? And I was like, yeah. And he says, winning, a, and the winning touchdown is made in the last few seconds. In some stadiums, that is a deafening roar, like the next descriptive phrase, the sound of a cascading water. And what he's doing is, he's painting a picture of heaven. We hear this thunderous applause, and then it's coupled with this Niagara kind of cascading of the falls, and it's commingled with this utterance of praise and worship. It's like the heavens themselves are reverberating, and it's building to this mighty crescendo. And he says, have you ever been to Niagara Falls? The first time I saw it, I wonder if they had left it on all night. I wonder if it just kept going and going, and it does. And there is a tumultuous sound as more than six million cubic feet of water rushes over those falls every single minute. Add lightning and thunder rolling up and down the heavens to the noise of the multitude and the falling waters, and one can only imagine what it will sound like. Our God reigns. Every knee will bow to the one who was despised and rejected by men, and the shouts of His praise will ring throughout heaven it will be wonderful, end of quote. 
You know, two years ago when we went to uh, Niagara Falls, I had never, never been. We were on a mission trip with our students, and um, I had torn my left calf, and I had to go to the emergency room, had to get this thing worked on. And so for the rest of the trip, I was on my crutches, and uh, Lisa Hall, God bless you, you pushed me around. Seth Pittman, those are the two people I remember, just pushing me around, Emily Jones, others just helping. And I was just, I was just pitiful. You know, I was like, I don't want a torn calf. I want to run around and see these falls. And God just says, you're going to chill out whether you like it or not. Listen to the roar. Just listen to the roar. Man, I looked up, and this is what I saw. I took some pictures with my phone. Man, I could just see the cascading water. And those of you that have been, look at the next picture. It looks a lot like this one. It looks a lot like that one, doesn't it? Maybe that's the only one. But you see it? It's going into that chasm. And when it bursts down and it comes forth, there's just mighty roar. That's what I think it's going to be like in Revelation 19.6. It's going to be this thunderous applause, this ovation. And it won't be because our favorite football team scored the winning touchdown in the last seconds. It will be because we see the Lamb of God. And we see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. And we begin to worship Him. And that's the fourth, that's the fourth song that we read about in our, in our text today. And then verse 7 the song continues, and, it, and it's, it's an encouragement to all of us to be glad, to rejoice, and to give uh, God glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now, this is a very, very insightful, important thing that John is telling us in verse 7. He says, the marriage of the Lamb. You see, that's one of the reasons why I just so adamantly defend marriage, because marriage between a man and a wife is a picture of the marriage between Jesus Christ and His bride, the church, depicted as the female, the male and the female. And it's this beautiful picture of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, as He is about to be wed, if you will, with His bride, and they are going to come together for all eternity, and we will serve Him and worship Him. He is our head. He is our husband. And when you tamper with that sacred analogy, you begin to tamper with the sacred Scriptures of God. That's just one of the many reasons why. I just firmly believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman because that's the way God designed it and that's the way God describes His church, okay? <clears throat> I like the way this one writer puts it. He says, in the Old Testament, God is the bridegroom of Israel. In the New Testament, Christ is the bridegroom of His church. And so currently the church is betrothed to Jesus Christ, engaged to Him. There's coming a time, and Revelation 19 says, get ready because it's about to be consummated. The marriage is about to come together. And, and perhaps studying the way the Jews did marriage and celebrated marriage will give insight to this future uh, eschatological marriage supper of the Lamb of God and His church, us, His people. When, uh, this is David Jeremiah. I really like this. I hope, I hope this encourages you. I hope it help explains this marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'll quote, there were three major steps in the pattern of marriage in the ancient Near East. Step one was the legal contract of marriage, often consummated by the parents of the bride and the bridegroom. This involved the payment of a dowry and resulted in a legal marriage. And by the way, 
it was often accomplished by the parents without the bride and the groom having ever met one another. I really wish we could bring those days back. You know, if they just ask me, I'll tell you who you ought to marry. No, we can't do that. But that's the way they did back then. They never met, and the parents work it out, the contractual legal ramifications of it. Secondly, after the legal marriage, the groom with his friends would go to the house of the bride and claim the bride for himself, take her back to his own house. And then the final stage of the wedding was the bridal procession followed by a marriage feast which would often last for several days. Now listen to this. Following this outline, we can see clearly the parallels in our relationship with the Lord. First, the legal marriage which takes place at the time of our conversion to Jesus Christ. We are in Him positionally, and we are already united with Him by faith. And as the bride of Christ, we are now awaiting the time when the groom will come to claim us for himself. Remember that delay? Remember there's been the contract, there's been the agreement. He goes away, and then he will come with, with, uh, the, with his groom, the groomman will come, and they will take him for himself and take us back to his own mansion, which he has prepared for us. And finally, the celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place after we have been taken to be with the groom. So a lot of this has happened. For those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have surrendered our lives to Him, we have been wed to Him, and now there's going to be this huge celebration. There's going to be this, this great marriage and, and festivities. And guys, I just want to be honest with you. I don't rightly know what all this is going to look like. I just got to be honest with you. I, all I know is I've been invited and I'm going. That's, that's all I know. I'm just thrilled that there's going to be this amazing celebration, festivities, and eating and drinking and praising the Lord, and Jesus Christ will be full center, and I'll say, I am with Him. I was invited. I accepted it. Woo! And I'm just happy, happy, happy to be there. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? Woo! I'm going to be there. And you, you can't read that without some kind of joy emanating from your innermost being because when weddings are times of, of joy and, and festivity and, and celebration, and, and that's what John is saying. Do you hear him? He says, get ready. Let us be glad, rejoice. Give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife, she has made herself ready. And then it talks about the apparel, and I love this, the apparel of the bride and its significance. I couldn't help but contrast the bride of Christ and the lampron and the cartharon, those clean, beautiful, radiant garments. Listen, watch this. In contrast to the harlot. The harlot, the promiscuous, the idolatry, the, the fornication, all those things. And, and she is covered in that garb in Revelation 17 and 18, and juxtapose that and, and compare that to this garb or, or these garments, and, and, and it's just so rich, and, and it, it's, it's not lost on us. We see it as interpreters of Scripture. We see that Jesus Christ is our King and our husband, and we are His bride. And we are to be a radiant bride of Christ. Our garments should be stainless and they should be white. And when they become stained and when we sin against God, we say, oh God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Wash me clean. Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll wash you clean. Now get back on the road to sanctification. And that's very important. There, there, there's a lot of 
theological misunderstanding today. We're talking about salvation and, and, and sanctification. Listen, we're saved in a moment, but we are sanctified for a lifetime. And when you sin against God and when I sin against God, we don't wallow in that sin and we don't keep doing what we have done that is wrong. We stop, we come to our senses, we fear God and we say, God, I'm sorry, cleanse me, please forgive me. And Jesus does. He cleanses us. He forgives us. And He says, now go, get back in there and sin no more. And we go and we serve and we praise and we live for Him as the clean bride of Christ. By the way, that's called holiness. That's called sanctification. Where are the holiness preachers today? I don't know. Ain't much holiness preaching. I've been called a lot of things. Yeah, I have. yeah, even recently. Uh, but you know what? When I love when somebody calls me a Bapticostal, I like that. I mean, you know, cares the charisma of God, the, the spiritual gifts of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit when He comes in us. We shouldn't fear those, those words. We, we should, as evangelical believers, followers of Christ, we, we should embrace that, and we should preach holiness, and we should preach sanctification. Oh, there's a lot more I can say, but let me, let me wrap this part up with this good quote. How radiantly beautiful the bride of Christ when she appears as she has been prepared herself to be presented to the Lamb. Wow. So we got the, uh, we got the songs. Now we got the supper. Let's talk about the supper just a little bit more. Uh, in verse 9 it says, uh, then he said to me, right, blessed, Macarius, happy, joyful are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then he says, these, these are the faithful sayings of God. It's like, John, I just want to remind you, just want to reiterate that what I've been telling you, and I believe many scholars call this an intercalation. An intercalation would be Revelation 17.1 to Revelation 19.10. That's a big fancy theological word for parentheses. That this is not so much in chronological order in the apocalypse, but it's so important, and it's this intercalation, it's this parentheses, and it concludes, it consummates in 19.10. one, 19.10, think of one big parentheses, and then the angel says, John, these things are true. I think he is saying these things, all of this parentheses, all of these things, from the Babylon to the destruction to the worship to all. Don't forget, John, write these things. These things are the truth. Let me, because I've already talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb. My notes, I've got more information if you want it. But I, I want to get on and finish up to, to verse 10. I, I want to I stay here for just a moment. Here's the final scene. This is a fascinating passage of Scripture to me. This This actually gives me a lot of hope because if John could fall and he could slip up and Paul, I know I can too and I do, and he is reprimanded and and he says, and I fell at the angel's feet to worship him and the angel said to me, I think this is a little bit comical, he says, don't do that, don't don't, don't do that. I am your syndulos, S-Y-N-D-O-U-L-O-S, syndulos means Sin, S-Y-N, like synagogue together, do lost servant. I am with you as your servant. It reminds me of Hebrews 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The angelic beings serve us and help us. John's like, he's being reprimanded, the angel saying, no, no, don't worship me because I'm actually here to serve you. I'm actually here to encourage you with this great unveiling. Now, the last part is very fascinating. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the, the martu, which we get the word martyr, the testimony of Jesus. Now watch this. He says, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? I put a lot of thought into this, and I've read a lot of different people's ideas as to what this means, and here's what I think it means. For the testimony of Jesus, it is a testimony of prophecy. Now, when you break prophecy down, it has two components. And stay with me because I'm just about, I'm just about done. The first aspect or facet of prophecy has to do with foretelling. Foretelling of the future. And John has been given the future of the world, and there is an aspect of prophecy which is foretelling. It is one of the spiritual gifts of the prophet, and God gives a revelation of something that is about to happen. I know it's miraculous. I know it's kind of, it's a little bit of one of those stranger spiritual gifts, but some people still have that. But I don't think that's the most important part of prophecy. You have the foretelling, F-O-R-E, stay with me. Then you have the second component, second aspect of prophecy, which is the forth telling, F-O-R-T-H. For before, forth proclamation. And John says from the angel, and Jesus is both. It's all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, there is prophecy, there is foretelling of His birth, His life, death, burial, and resurrection, and His return. And then there's the foretelling, the gospel. And we proclaim that which the prophets have been telling us. And so you've got the before, and then you've got the sounding forth, and then, and then the angel says, and it's all about Jesus. And I like that. Let, let, me, let me read you this, this good quote that I, that I found, just full of good quotes this morning. Amen. The spirit of both the proclamation and the telling of the future is bound up in Jesus, in the testimony of Jesus. Jesus the Lamb, and not just a chronology, chronology of last days, is the theme of the book of Revelation. So when anybody preaches on the book of Revelation, if there are charts and there are all kinds of dates, and there's all kinds of chronology, and, and there's a little bit of Jesus, don't listen to them. Because Revelation has to do with Him. It's all about Him. It's all about His unveiling. Whoa, I can't, I just can't wait. I just can't wait till it's all centered on Him, the Lamb of God, and we're worshiping Him and serving Him. Some of you like me are going, will that day ever come? It just seems like it just seems like we're losing. It, you know, it just seems like sin and, and immorality, it, it's so prevalent in our culture. It's even very prevalent in our church. Yes, this church, this church, my church, still very prevalent, still very, still very obvious. We, we still have a ways to go. So we're like, well, when, when do we win? When does it happen? So let me, let me tell you about Chick-fil-A and I'm done, all right? I like me some Chick-fil-A, amen? 
I didn't think they would ever open that building. They opened it. I was there Monday night to got my picture with the cow. I was promise you, I was there. I almost brought a picture of that. I did, literally. I wanted to close my sermon with me and the cow. That cow is like nine feet tall, okay? It's really funny because when I got there, uh, Callie Black, who works for Chick-fil-A, she said, hello, Pastor Danny. And I said, well, hello, Callie. And, and she said, Cal, this was my pastor when I was nine years old. And this is Callie now. Callie's like 26. And she said, and Cal, he led me to Christ, and he baptized me. Cal, have you been baptized? I was like, oh, my word. She was laying it on the cow, and, and the cow went, you did that? Yes. I was like, it'd be interesting to baptize a cow. Now, this has made the national news, and I'm probably not telling you something you don't already know, but I think it pick, paints a beautiful picture of promise, faithfulness, and reward. God has promised us He will come again. We have to be faithful and he will reward. So Jeff Glover, the owner-operator, the whole time, the four and five months that this Chick-fil-A was being repaired, he continued to pay his employees. True story. All 55 of them. Uh, Chris Cannon, who works over there, was telling me, he says, yes, and he, he took some flack from this from other owner-operators saying, you can't do that. How many of those guys, you're going to pay those guys. How many of them are going to come back and work for you after you've already paid them? And they're on going on with their lives, on, on with their jobs, and get other jobs. How many of them are going to come back? I said, Chris, how many came back? He said, 55 out of 55 came back to work, to work for him. Ooh, I got to thinking. I make you a promise, be faithful, and I will reward you. I will reward you. I am coming again. I will give you everything that you need. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tempting. It's going to be difficult. But when I come again, will all 55 of you, will all of you be faithful and serving me when I come again? I think it's a beautiful picture, and I want to be one of those 55. I want to be when it's hard. And when the promises of God seem like they're on a distant shore, I still want to be faithful to God. I want to be faithful to my family. I want to be faithful to my church. I want to fear God. I want to walk with God. I want to serve God, knowing that if a mere mortal can make such an outlandish promise and fulfill it, how much more will God? If you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I want to thank you again for being so patient. I know uh, sermons run a little bit long today, but if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me, I, I want us to just go to the Lord in prayer and have a time of dedication and consecrating. From here on out, church, it gets really, really interesting. As we make our way through the end of the book of Revelation, you're just going to see over and over Jesus wins and the best is yet to come. There's so much to look forward to. It will motivate you. It will encourage you to stay faithful to God and faithful to His church. Yes, there's going to be hard times. Yes, there's going to be temptation. Yes, you're going to fall. You're going to skin your spiritual knee. And the devil would love to keep you down and live with shame and guilt and regret. But Jesus says, no, come on, get back up. Get back up. 
I love you. I forgive you. Let's, let's get going again. So I just hope, I just hope this message has encouraged you and spoken to you for the Lord God Pentocrator, the omnipotent one, he reigns. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, don't have a relationship with him, I do implore you, I invite you at this moment to invite him into your life and be born again by the Spirit of God. You say, well, how do I do that? And by the way, how do I get an invitation to the big supper? How do I, how do I get in on that? How do I go to the big marriage feast that you mentioned? Listen, you are invited. And the invitation goes like this. God loves you. He created you. His Son paid for your price of sin. And if you will repent, and if you will believe on Him, listen, listen carefully, listen carefully. If you will believe on Him and say, Jesus, you are awesome. I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. Then listen to this. You're born again by the Spirit of God. Your life has changed. And that great, grand, glorious day in the future, you will be there. I will be there. I will see you there. And we will be praising and rejoicing in the Lamb of God. Now, some of you may honestly want to ask me, is there another way? Is there another way to get to heaven? I mean, can I not just do my own thing and just kind of do good and be charitable and have a benevolent spirit about me, be philanthropic? And can, can, can I just do that instead of all the religious stuff? Listen, friend, there's only one way, and that is through the blood of His Son, Jesus. You can call it religion if you want to. I like to call it relationship. I like to call it being born by His Spirit, saved, forgiven, and in love with Him. If you've never done that, if you've never accepted the invitation, I invite you to do it now. You say, well, what do I need to do? Say, God, I'm a sinner. God, you're awesome. I give you my life. If you're listening on the internet, many of you are grateful to God that you're listening. Some will listen to this here in Austin on our KBVO broadcast every Sunday morning at 730. Maybe you're sitting in your home and you're listening to this sermon. I'm inviting you right now to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, surrender to His Lordship today. Others of you are in this place and you're walking at a guilty distance with the Lord. You're out of fellowship with Him. You're out of fellowship with His church. And I'm inviting you to come back to ask the Lord for His forgiveness. Listen, listen to me carefully. This is where I've failed great hills in the past. This is where in my enthusiasm and in my hypervigilance, I have failed the church because I have oftentimes forgot to say what I'm about to say. Come home. Come back. Don't be offended and walk out and just, well, I could never live up to that preaching. I could never live up to that scripture. No, no, yes, you can. You can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. Don't, don't abandon. Don't, no, don't run. Don't, please don't run away from Jesus. Run to him. Just tell him, I'm sorry. I could never live up to these expectations on my own. Jesus, would you help me? And that's what I want to tell you today. He will help you. He will help you. And he will tell you something like this. He will say something like, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. So Lord, we open up our invitation. We're praying, God, that you would touch the lives of many as the Word of God has been preached, as the Spirit of God has permeated this place, as the worship of God's people. We've invited your presence, and now, Lord, we pray that you would move 
May it be palpable, God. May it be very conspicuous and obvious that the Holy Spirit of God is changing people, drawing people, building up Great Hills Baptist Church to be a radiant, mighty army. Oh, God, do whatever you want to do in this very moment, for this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. And we stand to our feet, and we sing the song of praise. Terry's going to lead us. We have our pastors, and we have our deacons. Would you come? Come home. Come back. Ask the Lord for restoration. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. He's waiting on you. Come on. Even now as we sing.